here in a moment. We'll worship again together, but I just wanted to, to take a little bit of the time that we have together and share some things that are on my heart with you in regards to the cross, in regards to worship. Uh, like Brianna said, looks a little different this morning. And when we were in practice and we were praying and uh, asking God what he wanted to do in this service, all of this began to come about. And there's something powerful, as Brianna said, when you see this is an altar and you see the cross and how it should illuminate into our life. And so I pray this morning as we get into some of the scripture that you would be encouraged, that you would see of what it looks like to have a cross-centered life. This is something as I was in prayer and when we don't know God's word or we don't know the true intention of things, we've all heard the phrase that ignorance is bliss, right? Or, hey, what you don't know can't hurt you. But the thing is, when it comes to God's word, what you don't know can hurt you. And when we think of what is the purpose of church or what's the purpose of our worship, is it's always, as we sing, to give a sacrifice back to God, to put ourselves upon the altar and humble ourselves and say, Father, we are so grateful for what you've done. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the worship team. It is about you. And it is about your presence. And when we turn all of our attention and all of our focus upon the one who gave access into that, it's amazing what is released into an atmosphere like this. And I love it because they were talking, well, how can we represent humility? So we said, we're just going to wear black, black shirts today. Something as simple where we want to just put ourselves and just create an atmosphere and a posture of worship where it's all about him. Because even as they get up every week, that's the heart behind it. But there's something special when you can do a jolt and just a refresher of what it's all about. That they're not singing to you, you're not singing to them, but all of us collectively are singing to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. And when we realize that, our worship touches the heart of God. And he anoints us in these moments for what he's called us to do. A passage of scripture that uh, God has had me in studying and just praying through this week is uh, Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we'll have, also have it up here on the screens. I want to read through it with you. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. This is known as the transfiguration. It's kind of a big word. It's not a word we throw around a lot. Oh, hey, the transfiguration. You know, it's kind of okay. It's a Bible word. Uh, so I want to kind of break this down and want just, just pull some depth out of it of what the purpose behind the transfiguration is and, and how it bleeds into your and I, you and ours lives today. Verse 28, it says, About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. You know what's neat? Jesus was the best leader we've ever seen in, in the history of, of mankind. It's always awesome how you see he had the 12, but then there were those that were close to him that he just shared the secrets of his heart. He shared the mysteries. And it's amazing to see that there, you see Peter, John, and James were those close with him that really took time to press into Jesus, to get to know him probably a little more. And so you see that Jesus took Peter's, James, and John up on this mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance 
of Jesus' face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, or other translations, his clothes became lightning white. Imagine you're there, and you're witnessing this. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world. So we see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, which Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophet. And so this conversation is going on, and Jesus is discussing his exodus as he's about to make his journey to the passion and to the cross. And here's what it uh, continues on to say. As Moses and Elijah were, were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing, or verse 32, this is an important part here. It, it talks about how Peter and the others had fallen asleep. So the whole time this is happening, Peter, John, and James are asleep kind of funny that something so miraculous has happened and they're asleep and not really even knowing what's going on. And so they woke up and they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, so you can tell he's probably in this haze. When you wake up, you're trying to catch your, your glimpse. You're like, wow, what's going on with Jesus? He's glowing. There's, is that, I think I see Moses and Elijah. What is happening here? Put yourself in, in, his, in Peter's shoes. And so he just says the first thing that comes to his mind or just whatever's there. Look what he says. He says, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. And so he's sensing, wow, I'm glad I'm experiencing this. I don't know what's happening right off the bat, but I'm, I'm happy I'm here. And here's what he said. He said, let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud oversat them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son. This is God speaking of Christ. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at the time what they had seen. You know, what really stuck out to me is when Peter saw this, the, he said, wow, it's good for us to be here. And then what did he say? He said, let us make three memorials for what we had just seen. And what I'm about to share with you is, is I've been just digging and studying and going back into the early church, the timeless faith, the word of God, the most important thing that we can grasp in our life is that we know, yes, who Christ is. We know his purpose and we know what he designed us to do. Because what's neat here, as you go and as you look and as you study, you'll see that as Peter said that, he saw two men in Christ and he put them all in the same category. He didn't say, you know, Christ, I see you glowing. But he said, he saw all three of them. So he said, let's make three memorials. And then as you go on to say what had happened, as God confirmed, this is my son, my chosen one, it wasn't confirming that, hey, this is Jesus coming out, I'm confirming this. I'm doing this so you know who he is and you know what your purpose is is that just as Christ glows, just as Christ is transfigured, you and I, in moments of worship or in, in moments of obedience, we should be, be becoming transfigured and having the glow of Christ come out of our lives. And that's what Peter was witnessing. And this is what, uh, what Christ was trying to confirm. That yes, this is coming about of myself, but this is so much more than just me. I know what I'm called to do. I know my purpose. But you need to know 
you need to be transfigured. And this is for all of us, that we see ourselves as Peter and that there's moments in our lives just as we worship and as this is an altar that we come forth to give our sacrifices, that this would be a place that we would even build a memorial. That when we come, that this is a place where we can become transfigured. Because God has given us the gift of repentance through the cross. You know it's a gift, right? Repentance is a gift. For we can come, when we've fallen short, when we've made a mess of a situation, or we've had, as we've talked of last week, an interior sin in our life because in our relationship with God, there's always an interior side and there's an exterior side. The interior side, as we said, is the point of the cross that points to him where we're passionately pursuing him, we're worshiping him, we're receiving him. And then that exterior side is where we go and we give out and we serve and we live out Matthew 25. We look out for the least of these. We look out for our brothers and sisters. And so living a cross-centered life has that focus on it. And when we do, as you see the glow from the cross, there should be a glow upon our lives. Right. And that is what should be taking place as we come together, is that we, we come before him, we repent as we step into worship. This is another thing that's pretty neat too, of how worship comes first and then we get fed through the word of God, is what worship does, and we can all experience this, We've just come in, we've put the kids in the nursery, we hurried and we grabbed a cup of coffee and a donut, all these kind of things. It's just craziness getting to church on time. What's neat is when you come into worship, you can just let down and breathe and begin to focus on what's really important. That I'm here, I surrender myself, Lord, do what you want to do in me. I say yes to the Holy Spirit. And here's something that God gave me as well as I was studying in regards to the cross. That all of us want to experience the glory. We want the fullness of him. But we can never touch it unless we taste suffering as Christ did. You can't taste glory unless you're willing to put yourself willfully and taste suffering. The two go hand in hand. Where when we see we're in a season of wilderness or we're in a season where we've been believing for a breakthrough or for God to speak, or for God to move. We can speak and proclaim and confess God's word, as I said, till we're blue in the face. But until we're willing to go the true path of real breakthrough, of to embrace the seasons that God has us in, we have to willingly taste suffering in order to taste glory in our lives. And as you look and as you read and as you pull out the timeless wisdom of the early church fathers, one of their main messages was to teach the people, was to teach the church of how to suffer. When I started reading that and looking into that, I'm like, I can't remember the last time I've heard a message on suffering or how to suffer. Because when we're suffering, our first reaction is, is we look suffering in the face, is get behind me, Satan, and we want to run away from it, not come over and embrace it, and seeing as, as Jesus said in the constitution of Christianity of the Beatitudes that blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So there's a blessing in when we suffer. And so again, the power of this transfiguration is not so Jesus would know who he is, but, the, but so that we would know who, who he is and who we're created to be. And how do we share in the same light? It's always by grace. 
who, and this is, uh, write this down, get this in your spirit, I've said it before, but this explains Christianity and all, of how we take hold of God and can practically live it out in our lives, is who Christ was by nature, we can become by grace. Who Christ was by nature, the word of God that you read, the things that he taught and preached and loved and served, we become like him through grace. And when we come with a heart of worship before God and we lay low and humble ourselves before the cross and repent, guess what is deposited into your life? Grace. And what does grace do? It empowers us. And so that's why as scripture says in Hebrews, we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together, even as the day grows cold. Because if we forsake these moments and these memorials that God has put in our life and the altar and the church, he's given this to us as a gift to deposit grace into your life. But we can't taste suffering or we can't taste glory unless we're willing to taste suffering. And there's there's things that you don't know, they can hurt you. I was thinking about some things. When we think about setbacks in our life, it's at the end of the day, by its nature, every financial setback that you and I face is temporary in the, in the long-term of thing. Every sickness that we face is temporary. Every relationship setback Every setback that we deal with in our life is temporary. And as we learned of, of going through, of being driven by eternity, of focusing on things that are eternal, it's things of the cross. It's things of re having resurrection power in our lives. But so many times we just get focused on all these setbacks that come into our life instead of focusing Okay, what's the big picture of what's happening in my life? God, is this situation, is this wilderness out of love for me, out of your love for me, wanting to draw me to a place of humility to kneel low before the cross of Christ in repentance and receive grace for the season that God is calling me in? Because what's eternal and what really matters is being made into the image of Christ. Buying houses, cars, school, all these things are life. But what is eternal is that you and I are being made into the image of Christ. And as again, you see the glow of the cross. When you allow yourself to have a cross-centered life, that's how it happens. A glow starts to come about you where guess what? You're living for the things eternal. There's power in your life. There's anointing. For your greatest ministry of your family, of raising your kids, your grandkids, that all of, that is the purpose that if we don't have that, we're not going to live God's word outright. There's not going to be grace in our life to do what he's called us to do, to become what he was by nature, and we become it through grace. Thank you. And here is, here's really the, as the rubber hits the road, here's the hard thing of it all. I'm going to read this to you, but it says, the hardest thing when we decide, because let me, let me take a step back for a second. 
Christ was not put on the cross. He was not forced on the cross. He willfully stepped up on the cross, not as a victim, but as a victor. He stepped up at knowing he is our champion to once and for all give us access into the presence of God and for grace to be deposited into our life. So if you think Roman soldiers put him or if you think man put him up there, he willfully put himself upon the cross. And as he willfully put himself, we willfully follow Christ. As your pastor, it's not my job to say, you need to follow Christ. You're not following, you got to get in line here. It's your decision, it's your choice. I'm not going to force you to do anything. But it's through his compassion and through his love. And when you've experienced grace deposited into your life, you want to throw yourself before the altar of God and say, I've found what truly satisfies me. I've found it. And I believe all of you sitting here this morning, you have found or are getting a glimpse or an itching that this is maybe what I've been created to do, to worship him, to be a lover of his presence, to live a cross-centered life, to have anointing in my life to do the work that he's called me to do in my family, my workplace, in the marketplace. So here's the hardest thing, is when we live a cross-centered life, we have to surrender to the power of God, and here it is, we have to say yes to a lifestyle of disciplining our passions and our desires. Hear this right here, because when you discipline your passions and your desires, Galatians 5, 4, Guess what starts to happen? Instead of them becoming your enemies, they become your servants. When you decide to discipline the passion of lust or the passion of anger or the passion of greed, all the things of our human nature that all of us wrestle and deal with and are constantly putting on the cross every day, when we decide to live a disciplined life and live a cross-centered life and allow those passions to be disciplined, then instead of them becoming our enemies and pushing us into sin and keeping us bound and keeping freedom off of our life, guess what? They come over here, the Holy Spirit takes place, and guess what? They become fruits of the Spirit in your life, and they become your servant. It's amazing when that takes place. Because we have to ask ourselves, this is what I do with myself, and this is what I encourage anyone. If we see relationships in our life keep messing up, if we see our marriage is in a rough place, if you see relationships in your workplace is in a rough place, relationships in general, you have to look at yourself. I have to look at myself and say, what passions are controlling me that are out of line? What desires, what is motivating me? It's always looking to our passions and making sure, because when we live a cross-centered life and every time we step foot through the doors of the sanctuary, is that we turn, we gaze upon the cross, and we say, Father, here's what happened this week. Here's what I struggled with. Here's how I let loose. Here's all this, this, that. I racked up credit cards this week. Ah. Guess what? We lay them before the cross. We lay them before the altar and say, discipline me, Father. Discipline isn't a bad thing. Now, the, the side of rebellion in our passions and our desires tells you it is. But the chastisement of the Lord and the disciplining of the Holy Spirit, allowing him to judge your life and wrestle you, is the very thing that will set you free. Because Christianity, love does not exist without a cross. At the bottom of everything, and is, here's, here's just another 
bit of, of a saying or whatever you want to call it, a quote, that should stick with you as you read the word of God. Is everything that happened before the cross was all to lead up to the cross, and everything that happened after the cross was all because of the cross. That's why X marks the spot. This is the moment, this is our calling is to always be drawn to be pulled to the cross. Just as when I first saw Bree, there was a drawing to want to get to know her. There should be a drawing because of you experiencing God and His grace and His mercy, that there should be a drawing so that He can set you free and you can experience what you were called, created, purpose to do in this life. Because at the end of the day, this is a, I wrote this down, this is a spiritual gymnasium where we come together and we can exercise those things together. As we were worshiping, we were exercising a cross-centered life together of allowing the presence of God to come and to heal us and to touch us. Because salvation is not a one-time thing. Yes, there's initial confession, but salvation is healing and it is a lifetime process. The whole idea of once saved, always saved, when you really get into the core of the gospel, it is every day, as, as Jesus said, that daily take up your cross. Daily take up your cross. And I look around it, even in here, all of us bear different crosses and they all look very different. So be encouraged that maybe your suffering is designed of God to lead you to glory. Don't jump out of it, but press into it and say, God, what are you doing here? Because here's what the devil always tells us. He tells us we're not smart enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not thin enough, we're not big enough, we don't make enough money, we married the wrong person, blah, 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 blah. All the excuses the devil throws out at us. But at the end of the day, those are just symptoms of something even deeper. You, you getting this? You did call it. And so stop focusing on the symptoms and allow the chastisement of the Lord, allow the discipline of the Lord to put yourself in humility because that's where things will begin to change because that's where his presence is released because the resurrection would have never happened if there was never a cross. Resurrection power can't happen in your life unless you're willing to embrace the cross. This is a labor. I love it. I was reading a commentary that this is one necessary labor we can never forget because it is a labor. At just as we get up to work and we grind and we shine, all the things that we do day in, day out, 9 to 5, 40 hours a week, some of you 60 hours a week, there is a labor in going after God. It just doesn't happen. We just don't sit and say, God, here I am. That's a part of it, initial surrender. But it's us willfully placing ourselves in places to bring healing because as you've been healed... What usually happens is God will take you, put you in a situation that's out of order, full of confusion, it's a mess, and guess what? He's put the body of Christ there to go and be healing. You are the body of Christ. Look at this. Sean, if you want to put our quote up. This is a, a church father in the first early few centuries as he's talking about suffering and, and what it's all about. 
I pray that you get this in your spirit because I believe it's going to set a lot of us free of stop pushing suffering off of our life but embracing it. It says, if you would be victorious, taste the suffering of Christ in your person, that you may be chosen to taste his glory. For if we suffer with him, hear this, we shall also be glorified with him. Blessed are you if you suffer for righteousness sake. Behold, for years and generations, you need to hear this right here. For years and for generations, the timeless faith and what will continue on for generations to come, the way of God has been made smooth through the cross and by death. The way of your life will be made smooth through the cross and through the death of those passions that try to control us. The way of God is a what? A daily cross. The cross is the gate of mysteries. What you've been searching for, what you've been believing for in your families and every area of your life, the cross is always the gate into the mysteries of God. Look what Colossians 1, 24 through 29 says. This is Paul talking. He says, brethren, you and I, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. The first thing I read that, God, give me a, an anointing or whatever of Paul so I can rejoice in my sufferings because that is never the first thing that I want to do is rejoice when suffering comes into my life. Look at this. And in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the divine office which he was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. What are we seeing this morning? Release the fullness. We want the fullness of God. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now made manifest to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of glory of this mystery. And here's the mystery, and here's the purpose again of the transfiguration, and this is your greatest purpose in life to pursue, is that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope that this world needs, the hope that this church needs, the hope of moving forward that we need, the hope that America needs, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, because it's when it's Christ in us, we become like him. And there's power in our lives to do what he's called us to do. Him we proclaim. Other translations say, him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature in Christ. Get this in your spirit right here. In your suffering. For this I toil, striving with all energy, which he mightily inspires within me. Anybody ever toiled or strived toward something? For I want you to know how greatly I strive for you. So Paul's even saying, is because of my love for you, for the church of, in Colossians, I'm striving for you so that you may become mature. I'm laboring for you. I'm suffering for you so that you can experience the power of God. And you can have this in your life. Look what other scripture says about the cross. This is, I love this scripture. Because this is how the outside world who has not experienced the power of God this is what they think you and Christian, you and I are like as Christians. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 24. And Paul even confirms it. He says, just so you know, when you live a cross-centered life, be ready for family who doesn't understand, for friends who don't understand, for neighbors who don't understand, for your coworkers who don't understand. 
Look at 18. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They think it's foolish. They think it's silly. It's dumb. What are you doing? But to us who are what? Being saved. Again, salvation is not a one-time ordeal, initial confession, but it is a lifetime of healing. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To have the power of God in your life is the very thing that the world thinks is foolish. And then he goes on to say of all the Greeks and all the scholars in that time who thought they were smart and full of wisdom and knew everything about everything, that they said it will, it will make them feel stupid, for lack of better words. Go on to read it. You'll see what it says. And how it's a stumbling block, preaching Christ crucified. But here it is, and this is as we move forward, and this is because there's a, a, a vein of Christianity that does not want to embrace the cross. We want to love people. We want to serve. We want to get together and, and worship. But hey, when we start talking about that cross, something doesn't really feel right in that. But here it is. The core message of Christianity is simply never going to be compatible or comfortable to those who don't want it. This is not comfortable. Suffering is not comfortable. It's usually never compatible with our lives. And even as Paul says in, in Corinthians, that I'm not going to try to persuade you or try to mix up words to get you to be so attracted to it, but I'm going to come in the demonstration and the power of God. Because here it is. The world around us, those who don't understand, those outside the faith are gripped by fear. Is the prophecy in Isaiah said, oh death, where is your sting? Christ took the sting of death from you and I, but we don't have to fear death. That's a blessing in and of itself that we have assurance. And so when we embrace the cross, those insecurities of death, those insecurities of fear are healed within our lives. Even those that think they know it all, full of pride, full of false confidence, the cross has a way of humbling us as well. It's the true wisdom to us. And so again, these were just some thoughts that were on my heart this morning. And don't you love our new cross that's here? It's going to continue to stay here to be a reminder. As you guys come on up, I want us to take a moment and really engage with what God is doing. That there would begin to be a greater understanding that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That just as Peter saw the transfiguration take place, what Christ was revealing to him, what was the purpose of his life, and what is the purpose to all of our lives, is to have Christ in us, because that is the hope of the world. That is the hope of your family. That is the hope of your marriage. It's not you going get and getting a pep talk or working yourself out of your suffering. It is embracing it. And it is allowing the fullness of the work of God to be completed in your life. It's a cross-centered life. And so that's my heart for you, is that we would never lose sight of what, it, what it's all about. What really matters? 
Because we can't taste glory without tasting suffering. Some things that we don't know can hurt us. And so my heart and my challenge and my hope for you is that the cross would be the center of your life. And every decision you make, from who am I going to marry, from where am I to work, from when am I to have kids, who are my... All these things that we... Decisions we make on a daily basis, the cross would always be considered. Because it's usually always a challenge to step out and trust God. It takes faith. But he always meets us when we step out and we humbly lay ourselves before him. And as we've saying the, been saying the past few weeks, allow the Holy Spirit to wrestle with you. Allow the cross to wrestle with, with you willfully. Willfully. Say, Holy Spirit, you are truly welcome in my life. Is Mary said yes to the, to the Holy Spirit, Christ was brought forth in her life. As you say yes to the Holy Spirit, the things of God are brought forth in your life. Your obedience is the greatest act of worship. Us standing together, we're offering a sacrifice of praise, but it's your obedience to go and be a godly husband when you get home, or to go and be a godly wife, or to take God's word and to love the least of these. Your obedience to this is the greatest act of worship because he said, what did he say in scripture? I desire obedience, not sacrifice. He wants our obedience, but it's willfully and it's not, oh, I gotta be obedient to this. He wants us to willfully obey him, to love him, to know his heart because when you do again, there's resurrection power, there's anointing for your life for the greater things. And it, here's another thing too, is the greater things in life are not always spectacular. The supernatural is not always spectacular. So many times we're looking for what's shiny or what's spectacular all the time, but the very supernatural thing that God might be wanting to do in your life is to heal a relationship or is to heal a heart, to do a miracle in that part of your life. But so many times we get our focus off of what's really important and we start looking into that other season, out that window of God put me there because I'm miserable here. Embrace it because God will give you the power that you need because there is power that is given to you through the cross. But if you don't take the cross and embrace it, you're just going to be twiddling your thumbs, you're going to be waiting for God when God is waiting for you and he's waiting for me. And so this morning, if you would stand, I want us to take this song and I want us to, to give our lives as a sacrifice and maybe just ask God right where you're at, what is an area of obedience that you want me to walk in? I believe he's going to speak to you. And as we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Have the mindset of, Holy Spirit, I'm inviting you to challenge my thinking in things. I'm inviting you to challenge my heart. Where is my allegiance at? Allegiance at? Is it fully surrendered to you? Or is it, is it, am I stepping into this in the world? Or am I stepping into that? Because we want to be lovers of his presence. Ones without spot and without blemish. So if you bow your heads, I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you that as we posture ourselves this morning to receive from you, 
to exalt the cross, to exalt the power that was given to us through it, to exalt the grace that what you are by nature, we can become by grace. So right now, as we lift our voices, as we offer our sacrifice, God, that we would, that grace would be deposited into our life. Just lift your hand and say, Father, deposit your grace into my life. I needed to raise my kids. I needed to be the grandma, grandpa you've called me to be. I needed in my job. I needed in this relationship and my marriage. I need your grace. And I set my focus upon the cross. And as your grace comes upon me, allow the glow and the transfiguration to take place in my life where God is evident, where you are evident within me. That people don't have to wonder, people don't have to think. But God, your spirit is evident in my life. That is our prayer this morning that we are lovers of your presence, that we would be a bride completely sold out to you, Father, and that we would allow our passions and our desires to be disciplined because you love us. Bring us into line. Judge us, Holy Spirit, so that everything we do can be a sweet aroma to you, Father, because you are soon returning. Father, I thank you that we are a remnant that we embrace the cross and we embrace your word. It's him we preach, Father. We say yes to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.